Well, for the last 10 weeks, we've been talking about that day, how we respond to it, how we get through it. But today, as we wrap this up, I want us to answer the question, what do we do when that day is in the rearview mirror? What do we do when, when that day is a distant memory, it's past, it's gone? How do we respond to that day? Are we able to move on and, and be stronger and better? Or do we find ourselves in bondage to the pain and the suffering that has come from that day? As we come to the end of the book of Job, in Job chapter 42, the very last two verses of Job say this. Job lived 140 years after that, after that day, living to see four generations of his children and grandchildren. Then Job died, an old man who had lived a long, full life. Job died an old man after living a long life, a full life, literally a satisfying life. And as I think about that, I, I realize that's something that each and every one of us want, don't we? We want to live a long life. We want to live a full life. We want to live a satisfying life. We all want those kind of things. But you need to understand, as that was said of Job, Job also had some difficult days. Job had some painful days. Job had some troubling days. When we read those last two verses, if we hadn't read the rest of the book of Job, we would think that this book tells all about Job's wonderful life, all the great things that had happened to Job. But as we read this book, we discover that Job's life was filled with pain. Job's life was filled with sorrow. Job's life was filled with hurt. And yet, in the midst of all of that, Job was able to come to the end of his life and he was able to say, I've lived a full life. I've been satisfied with my life. I'm, I'm happy with how my life has turned out. Now, and as we wrap this up this morning, I want us to recap. I want us to, to review what has happened in the book of Job. As the book of Job begins, we, we're told this about Job. We're told that Job was a blameless man, a righteous man. He was a man who feared God. He was a man who stayed away from evil. And we are told that Job lived a blessed life. As a matter of fact, we are told that he was the most blessed man. He was the richest man in the entire area. But then a meeting took place in heaven. It was an unusual meeting. And Satan was at this meeting. And at this meeting, God brought up Job to Satan. He said, if you've seen my servant Job, he's blameless, he's above reproach, he fears evil, he, he fears God, he stays away from evil. He's the finest man in the entire earth. But then Satan makes a statement that raises a question. He says, well, certainly Job is a fine man. Look at how you've blessed him. Look at how you've put a wall of protection around him. But if you take the blessings away, if you take the protection off of his life, then Job will curse you to your face. In other words, Satan said to God, God, Job is serving you because of all the things you have done for him. But will he still serve you? Will he still love you? Will he still honor you? If you no longer protect him, if you're no longer blessing him. It was then that God gave permission to test Job. And within, in a short amount of time, 
Job lost all of his children in a, in a devastating tragedy. Job lost all of his wealth, all of his possessions. And he was struck with this devastating, painful disease. And yet in the midst of all of his pain, in the midst of all of his sorrow, he never turned his back on God. In the midst of his grief, he continued to worship God. In the midst of, of being unjustly accused, he trusted God and obeyed God. And as he walked through that day, he discovered hope. He discovered hope of, of eternal life, a life that was beyond this life that is filled with pain and sorrow. And ultimately, Job saw God with fresh eyes, and he knew God in a fresh way. And when that day was over, and Job looked back at his life, he could say in spite of all of the pain, in spite of all of the hurt, in spite of all of the heartache, I've had a good life. Now here's what you need to remember. It's not over till it's over. When you're in the midst of that day, never forget whatever happens, whatever is thrown your way, God always writes the final chapter. God wrote the final chapter in Job's life, and God will write the final chapter in your life. You may be going through that day right now, and your life may be filled with pain and sorrow. But remember, the final chapter has not been written. And so as we come to the end of the book of Job, as we come to the end of that day, what I want us to do is, is answer four questions. Because you need to be able to answer these four questions if you're going to face that day the way Job faced that day. Here's question number one. When that day comes, will you become bitter or will you be better? When that day comes, will you become bitter because of that day or will you end up being better? Listen to what it says in chapter 42, verses 7 through 9. It says, after the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. So take seven bulls, seven rams, and go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept his prayer on your behalf. I will not treat you as you deserve, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namathite did as the Lord commanded them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. Now here's the truth. It's easy to become bitter when we go through that day. I mean, people sometimes will say things that aren't true. People will make comments without thinking. People will speculate on why we are going through that, that day, and they often end up judging us rather than comforting us. And that's what Job's friends did. When Job's friends heard that Job was going through that day, they immediately packed a bag and came to be with Job, to comfort Job and, and console Job. But as they began to talk with Job in the midst of his suffering and pain, they didn't comfort him, they didn't console him, they didn't encourage him. As a matter of fact, they discouraged him. They tried to convince Job that, that all of his pain, all of his sorrow was the result of his sin. 
And what he needed to do was admit that sin to God, repent of that sin, and then God would forgive him. Now you need to remember that God became angry at them for this because they were wrong. God had already validated Job's character. God had already said that Job was blameless. He was a man who feared God, who stayed away from evil. He was the finest man in all the earth. And yet here were these men, these so-called friends, who were misjudging Job and they were misjudging God's character. And so for 37 chapters in this book, these so-called friends tried to convince Job that he was the problem. They literally hung Job out to dry. Can you imagine going through the most horrible day of your life through no fault of your own and having your so-called friends blame you for everything that has happened? I mean, Job had every reason in the world to be bitter toward these three friends. But instead of being bitter, Job acted better. He trusted God. And he even prayed for these men. Do you remember what Paul told us in in Romans chapter 12? Listen to what it says in verses 19 through 21. Paul said, dear friends, never take revenge. I would have wanted to get even. But Paul says, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. And Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. That's what Job did. Job left it to God. He allowed God to deal with them, and God confronted them. He confronted them with their sin. He commanded them to bring sacrifices to deal with their sin, and that's what they did. And then he said, you need to go to Job and ask Job to pray for you. And that is exactly what they did. When Job refused to get bitter, he acted better. God was able to work in the lives of these friends, showing them that they were wrong. And you and I need to understand that when we become bitter with people who have wronged us, we're not setting them up to experience God's judgment and God's mercy We're setting them up to become bitter at us. But that's not what Job did. Instead of being bitter, he was better. He took the high road. He prayed for his friends. He forgave his friends, just like Jesus did. Do you remember when Jesus was on the cross, what he said? He he looked at the people who had nailed him to that cross. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And that's what we need to do. When people let us down, when people hurt us, when people say things that are untrue about us, we have a choice. Are we going to become bitter or are we going to be better? Now before we move on, I want you to notice something here about these friends. We need to at least acknowledge that these three friends came to be with Job, didn't they? I mean, they they said the wrong things. They did the wrong things when they got there. But the truth of the matter is their heart was in the right place. They were coming to Job because Job was a friend and they wanted to comfort him. But the truth is 
There were other people who evidently walked out of Job's life instead of walking into Job's life. Uh, Listen to what it says in verse 11 of chapter 42. It says, Then all his brothers, sisters, and former friends came and feasted with him in his home, and they consoled him and comforted him because all of the trials the Lord had brought against him, and and each of them brought him a gift of money and a, a gold ring. Now, if you've only done a casual reading of the book of Job, you would probably at this point say, brothers, sisters, you mean Job had brothers and sisters? Where were they? What happened to them? Why didn't they come when Job was on the dump? Why didn't they come when Job was in misery? Why didn't they come when Job was in pain? Well, we find the answer in, in chapter 19, verse 13. Job says this. He said, my relatives stay far away and my friends have turned against me. In other words, Job is telling us that he had relatives. He had brothers and sisters who when it got tough, when the pain came, when the bottom fell out, they bailed on him. They went in the opposite direction. Job had friends, lots of friends. But when that day came, they weren't there to walk through that day with Job. They abandoned Job. They were fair-weather friends. And now, and now, Job is restored. His wealth is restored. His possessions are restored. And guess what? His family wants to come back around. His former friends want to come back around. Can you imagine the conversation? Job. This is Billy, your brother. Hey, I'm, I'm sorry about what you've, you've gone through. We've been praying for you. Sorry we couldn't be there. You know, life's tough. It's busy. The kids are in soccer and everything, you know. And, and my job is just making me work around the clock. I mean, we were there with you in spirit. We just couldn't be there. By the way, Job, do you mind if we come over on Saturday and use the pool? The kids want to swim. Now, if I were Job, I would be saying, Billy who? I don't have a brother named Billy. I used to, but he died to me. I mean, isn't that how you would want to respond? I mean, here you are going through the very worst day of your life, the worst experience you could ever imagine, and you were abandoned by those people who were closest to you. But Job didn't respond the way I would respond. We don't hear one word of bitterness in Job's voice. I struggle with that. I I mean, I struggle with bitterness. I struggle with holding a grudge. I can hold a grudge tight. Now, some of you are getting self-righteous right now. You're going, oh me, he's just so carnal. I don't hold a grudge. I don't get bitter. Bull. Some of you are bitter right now, and you show it by the way you act toward people. You show it by the way you respond to people. You show it by the way you treat people. You say you're not bitter, but you are. 
You're holding a grudge. You're saying, I'm not bitter. I prayed for them. I've, I, I've forgiven them. Well, I've prayed. I, I've asked God to forgive them, and I've asked God to forgive me when I hold that grudge. But it's one thing to pray and ask God to take your bitterness away. It's another thing to leave that bitterness on the table, isn't it? I mean, when we release someone, we have to release them. That's what it means to forgive someone. It's releasing them from a debt that they owe you. You think they owe you an apology. You think they owe you something else. And you're going to hold on to that until you get what is rightfully yours. And when you hold on to that, refusing to release, you become bitter. And Job refused to become bitter. He released his friends. He released his family. You need to understand that, that when you become bitter, it doesn't imprison other people. It imprisons you, doesn't it? Someone said this about bitterness. They said it's an emotional cancer that will eat you up from the inside out, and then it will ooze out and affect those around you. Another person said it's a blight that will contaminate you, a burden that will crush you, a blaze that will cook you. Here's what I know. If bitterness is left unchecked, if it's not dealt with, it will poison every ounce of your body and it will cause everything that you look at to be poisoned by that bitterness. So if you're going to go through that day and come to the end of your life, having lived a full life, having lived a satisfying life, then you must choose not to become bitter. You must be better. Someone said it this way. They said, grace holds no grudges. And aren't you glad? I mean, we're glad that God's grace holds no grudges, right? I mean, aren't you glad that God doesn't say, I'm going to show you grace, but man, one other word, taking my grace back. So glad God doesn't do that. We are never more like God when we exercise grace. We are never more like God's character when we're responding with mercy and we're showing abounding love because that's what God is. And so are you bitter? Let's just take a second right now. Are you bitter? Is, is there someone who has hurt you with, with some words that they've said? Is there someone who has hurt you because of something that they did? Is there someone who has hurt you because you felt like they needed to come to your defense and they didn't? They needed to take up for you and they didn't? It could be a perceived hurt, but you're becoming bitter. How do you know? Can I tell you how you know? When you think about that person, you think thoughts other than wonderful good thoughts. Did you hear me? If a person's name is mentioned and you think anything other than good things or prayerful things for them, you've got a seed of bitterness and you need to deal with it. So when that day comes, will we become bitter or will we be better? Secondly, when that day comes, will we stay a captive or will we be set free? 
And verse 10, it says this, the first part of verse 10. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. Now, when you read the first part of that verse in the New Living Translation, in most translations, it seems like what, what God is saying there is that he restored everything that was taken away from Job, his, his um, fortunes, his health, and all of those things. But that's not actually what it says in the Hebrew. The King James actually translates this verse closest to the Hebrew in this passage. In the King James it says, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. In other words, the Lord set Job free. When Job prayed for his friends, when he let loose of all bitterness and forgave them, the Lord set him free. I love what Jimmy Draper in his book on Job said about this passage. He said, when the Lord set Job free from his captivity, it does not mean the Lord set him free from poverty. It does not mean the Lord set him free from sickness. It does not mean the Lord set him free from bearing reproach. It does not mean the Lord set him free from being the target of slander. It does not mean he was set free from grief. The Lord did more. He set Job free from being bound up in his troubles. Job's mind and heart had been in bondage. He had been captured by his circumstances, his affliction, his persecution, his depression. Job was in bondage to everything in his life. His personal losses simply reflected the things that held him captive. God set him free. You see, that day can cause us to be in captivity to a lot of things. That day can cause us to be in captivity to, to depression and despair. It can cause us to be in captivity to fear or worry. It can cause us to be in captivity to things like alcohol and, and prescription medication as we try to deal with our hurt and we deal with our pain. But what we need to understand is those things are holding us captive. But I want to go further because it's not really those things that are holding us captive. Those things are simply manifestations of what is actually holding us captive. And that is our enemy, Satan. Jesus said it this way. He said, you can know the truth and the truth can set you free. In other words, Jesus was saying, when you know the truth about God, when you know the truth about eternity, when you know the truth about my plans for you, when you know the truth about the joy I have for you, when you know the truth, you can be set free. Understand, listen to me. Some of you have gone through that day and you are in captivity right now. You live with worry. You live with fear. You live with depressive thoughts. You live with anger. You live with bitterness. You live held captive by these medications that you think are helping you get along with your life, but they aren't helping you. They are holding you captive. Only the truth can really set you free. And when the truth sets you free, you will be free indeed. So what is it that's holding you captive? Let's be honest. It could be an attitude, a thought. It could be a habit or an action. But what is there in your life that is holding you captive? Here's what I know. If you're going to make it to the end of your life like Job did and 
you're going to be able to say of your life, this was a good life, then you've got to be set free. Third thing, will we see God's, gra God's grace as a gift or will we see it as restitution? The latter part of verse 10 says this, in fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. God restored Job's health. God restored his wealth. In fact, God gave him twice as much as he had before. But the question we need to ask is, do we feel like God owes us for all the things that we've been through? Or do we understand that God doesn't owe us a thing? Did you hear the question? When we go through that day, when we have difficulties in our life, do we feel like that now God owes us blessings? Or do we recognize any blessing we ever have is a gift from God? It would have been so easy for Job to view God's blessings as payback for all of his pain and suffering. But Job didn't do that. It says the Lord gave him. He recognized that everything he had was a gift from God. Everything that we receive is a gift of God's grace. There are some of us here today that think that God owes us something. Can I tell you something? The only thing that God owes me, the only thing that God owes you is justice. That's the only thing he owes us. And if he gives you justice, guess what? This is what you've got. Death and hell. If God gives you justice, the only thing you've got coming on your plate is death and hell. We don't want justice. We want God's grace. We want God's mercy. We want God to rain down his favor on us. And there's nothing wrong with wanting those things. But we must always understand that it is a gift when God does any good thing for us. We don't deserve God's grace. We don't deserve God's gift. It seems like many today in the church assume and even presume that God's blessings are to be expected. You know, I've lived this way, therefore God should bless my life. I've been faithful in this area, therefore God should do this for me. God doesn't owe you anything. God doesn't owe me anything. And every good thing that happens in my life is a gift of His grace. And I should regularly and continually, without fail, thank Him for those things. And so when you go through that day and you come out of it and, and some blessings begin to come into your life, do you go, well, it's about time God did something good for me? Or do you thank God because you realize you don't deserve any good thing? Finally, will you allow the latter to be better than the former? In verse 12 and following, it says, So the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than in the beginning. I'm going to stop right there with the reading. But, but what it says is that every area of Job's life was blessed. God gave him ten more children. And so now Job had ten children on earth. He had ten children in heaven. So he had twenty children total. We are told that, that God gave him twice as many sheep, camels, oxen, and donkeys as he had before. The second half of Job's life was blessed more than the first half 
of Job's life. Even his lifespan was. He lived twice as long as he had already lived when he went through that day. God blessed him. Warren Wiersbe says this about Job's blessings. He says Job's greatest blessing was not the regaining of his health and wealth or the rebuilding of his family and, and circle of friends. His greatest blessing was knowing God better and understanding his working in a deeper way. But what I want you to focus on is this. You see, God can take that day and because of his grace, he can expand our influence, he can expand our voice, he can expand our opportunity so that the latter days can be greater than the former days. In other words, God can use that day in our lives to give us a power and an opportunity to do more for His glory than we've ever been able to do before. God saved me when I was nine years old. I'm convinced with all my heart He called me to preach when I was 12. You say, that's young. Well, I'm convinced God called me to preach when I was 12. I surrendered to that call when I was 18. I've been, I've been doing this now for a long time. And i got to tell you, I just want to be honest with you because, you know, you'll occasionally hear pastors who complain about pastoring and talk about how tough being a pastor is. Man, I love it. I, I, would, I can't think of anything else in the world I would rather do. Man, you, you keep your doctrine. I don't want that stuff. I mean, you salespeople, you sell. Enjoy it. You lawyers, you do what you do. <laughs> Politicians, y'all get saved. No. <laughs> but but the, the point is, the point is, I enjoy what I'm doing. I really do. I, I can't sit back and go, man, it's been tough. I mean, are there some people that I've had to deal with? Yeah. Are there some people that you have to deal with in your line of work? Yeah. I mean, there are grumpy, terrible people in every area of life, right? And so the ministry is, is no different in that regard. I love what I'm doing, and I can't complain about it. But I, can't, I can tell you this. Since that day, nine, ten months ago, now, the one thing I've thought more than anything else is, God, how can you take that day and leverage it for your glory? How can you take my pain, my hurt, what I've gone through, and use it for your glory? How can you take that day and expand your kingdom more than ever before? I've enjoyed doing this for over 35 years. But i got to tell you what I've been asking God. I've been asking God to take the last 10, 12 years that, that I probably have in ministry. It may be more, but let's just say 10, 12 years that I have in ministry. I've been saying, God, take these 10 or 12 years and make it better than all the former combined. God, take these 10 to 12 years and... Lord, let's see more people saved than ever 
combine. God, take these 10 to 12 years and, Lord, let's expand your kingdom here at Northside more than ever before. Let's touch more lives than ever before. That's what I want. I want the latter to be better than the former. And I believe because God is sovereign and all things work together for good to those that love the Lord, God can take those days that we go through and when we turn them back over to Him and say, God, they're yours, use them for your glory, then He can take those days and He can do things through those days in our life and through our lives that He has never done before. That's what I want. When I come to the end of my life, whatever may come in the next 10 to 12 years, because here's the deal. There's a chance, a good chance, that I'll have another that day during that time. I don't want it. I'm praying against it. But that's life in a fallen world. It happens. And the only thing that I can control is whether I allow God to leverage it for His glory. And that's the only thing you can control. So as we come to the end of that day, here are the questions I want you to ask. Some of you have already been through that day. Some of you haven't. And so this is preparation for you. But when that day comes, will you be bitter or will you be better than that? When that day comes, will you allow that day to hold you captive? Or will you allow the Spirit of God to set you free? When that day comes and it's in the rearview mirror and some blessings come in your life, will you see them as God's reparations, His restitution for all that you went through? Or will you recognize that anything you have is a gift from God? And finally, when that day comes, will you turn it back over to God so that the latter, what happens after that day, can be greater than the former, what happened before that day? I want you to bow your head with me. With your head bowed, with your eyes closed, I would be amiss right now if I didn't start our time of commitment, our, our time of invitation this way. There may be some of you here today who don't know Jesus. You've never truly surrendered your life to Him. He's never changed your life. And can I say to you, just hear me, if Jesus changes your life, He changes your life doesn't mean it's like a lightning bolt from heaven striking you between the eyes. It doesn't mean that it's like a boulder falling on your head. But, but when you're convicted of your sin and you trust Jesus, you'll know it. And so if you're here and you've never done that, and you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus and trust Him to be your Savior and Lord, then I want to encourage you to pray this prayer right now. Dear God, I come to you this morning humbling myself before you. I'm a sinner. I've disobeyed you. 
I've lived life my way. I'm so sorry. Forgive me. I'm tired of it. Today, I'm trusting you to save me, Jesus. I believe you died on the cross. You rose from the grave so that I could be forgiven. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Take control. From this moment on, I'm yours. Do whatever you want with my life. I'm surrendering it all to you. Fill me with your spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me. Thank you for saving me.